If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Nobody has more respect for women than I do. Nobody. Hillary Clinton wants to abolish it, believe me. She wants to abolish our Second Amendment. I think they didn't deny it. I don't think anybody denied it. Other presidents did not call. They'd write letters, and some presidents didn't do anything. Many people have come out and said, I'm right. You really do have to ask yourself, where does it stop? Hello and welcome to Fallacious Trump, the podcast where we use the insane ramblings of a sheltered idiot to explain logical fallacies. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm your other host, Mark. A logical fallacy is an error in reasoning that results in bad or invalid arguments. And the logical fallacy we're looking at this week is the greater good fallacy. So this one might be a little bit controversial for some people because right. ultimately, basically, it's utilitarianism, yeah. right. which some yeah. people think is a completely valid philosophical approach to deciding ethics and morals and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but there's, but each and every time people put that forward as an <laughs> argument, there are there are just there are 101 counter arguments. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Easily, yeah, um, yeah. But ultimately, the the way that greater good is a fallacy is right. that it is a kind of it's a massive oversimplification of yeah. the kind of more nuanced argument that is necessary to have when deciding anything or when when even backing up or providing evidence for your point of view or your your the argument you're trying to make it's yeah. it's essentially a very specific uh thought terminating cliche when when you say right. we should do the yes. thing i yes. want because it's yeah. for the greater good and yeah. and that is it that is intended to shut down any further discussion about it because yeah. who could argue against the greater good yeah that would be that, crazy yeah 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 <laughs> there was there was a one of the, my favourite counter-arguments, because I actually studied philosophy at university, uh -huh. you know, and no, you wouldn't think to, to <laughs> listen to me. Uh, and one of the arguments against the efficacy of utilitarianism as the basis for moral certainty was that, well, what if a lot more people liked red shoes than blue, blue shoes? Would that mean that red shoes became morally certain <laughs> that's yeah so that's so this is basically philosophy 101 so yeah, this yeah. is appropriately enough on episode 101 absolutely is, you know, and the the, yeah. the trolley problem is in there as well that kind of yeah, thing yeah, and yeah. and kind of making decisions about what you should do based on what helps the largest number of people and you get yeah. into the the whole thing about uh for example five people who need organ donations is it then okay to kill a perfectly healthy person because they can save Get those five, five lives that, Quite. you know the yeah. greater good ultimately five lives being yeah. saved for the price of one that's yeah. that yeah should be easy but just justification for murder <laughs> ultimately yeah. there are other factors that need to be considered <laughs> yeah it's a little more complicated than that yeah yes and also the greater good isn't always necessarily agreed on by everyone. Quite, yes. People on each side may think that the that saying the greater good is in their favour 
yeah. when they are arguing on directly opposing sides of the same issue. Because our good is greater than your good. Well, yeah, and and yeah. also it means that the majority, you know, even if the 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 needs of the majority, the the wants really, realistically, it yeah. usually is yeah. of the majority, yeah. are valued higher than the rights or needs of the minority. Yeah, where are you looking at? What the greater good is it? Is it is it a good that yeah. is for the greater number of people? Is it the more important good, <laughs> um, yeah. even if it's for a smaller number of people? And it's just, yeah, it's a lot more complicated. Yeah, yeah. yes. I think Abraham Lincoln would probably bear <laughs> us out on that. <laughs> yeah, yes. So our first Trump example comes from a rally where he was arguing that really bipartisanship is what he wants. That's, that's what's best, because uh, really these Democrats, they're just resisting everything. But while we're pushing and pursuing all of these common-sense policies to advance the common good. For our citizens, Democrats are pushing a cynical and destructive agenda of radicalism, resistance, resist, resist, and revenge. Or even... Radicalism, resistance, and revenge. <laughs> it's got the three R's. Uh-huh. Yeah. I love the way he just kind of goes... Yeah, the Republicans, we're going to do these things. They're all for the common good. And it's all for gentle. And then he goes, and there's radicalism. <laughs> and you're the stupid amongst them just go, oh, yeah, that's an upsetting sounding word. So that's, yeah. But yeah. We, yes, it completely glosses over the fact that people outside of that particular aircraft hangar or wherever he was holding the rally, mental asylum, are, uh, are thinking, completely exactly the opposite saying well you know our, our so-called radical resistance actually are for the greater good yeah it's just this notion that our good is better than your good you know one good bad two goods don't make a right that kind of thing yeah, <laughs> yeah and and in this part of the speech he was talking about things that in some places we would agree are generally the greater good, the common good, such as prison reform, although yep. not necessarily done in the same way that the Democrats yep. would do it, and also VA choice, which yep. uh, he repeatedly claimed he got passed, despite the fact that Obama did it. But yep. saying that these we're doing all these good things for, for the common good and the Democrats are resisting ignores the fact that if the Democrats didn't resist he would do lots of things that were not for the common good. I mean, yeah. he did do lots of things that were not for the common good. You know, environmental rollbacks and all kinds uh, of Yeah, yeah, because the common bit has got to include people more than just the Republicans and the people <laughs> that vote Republican and fund the Republicans. Yeah, that's, that's not what you have in common. Like, people who dwell on planet Earth... You know, the Republicans are a subset of that. So the kind of the common, the idea of a common good. Well, yeah, yeah. But the the greater good, there's this, this, whenever you say it, yes, as a disagreement limiting thing, it just, it implies that if the other people don't grasp this idea that it's for the common good, then what they're doing is robbing some people of the of the rights to this particular thing that they're putting in place. So they say, well, you understand we're doing it for the greater good. Um, and immediately what that does is cast the people who are disagreeing with that position as 
people who want to restrict people's access to the greater good, to yeah. this good, to a greater number of people. So it's a, yeah, it's it's a kind of, um, it's an act of, well, it's, it's double speak, isn't it, in, in Orwellian terms? It's just kind of saying we are acting on behalf of everybody and people that disagree with us are trying to limit people's um access to this the marvelous thing yeah. of drilling in the north, in the north and it's, it's typically used when talking about a sacrifice that is going to have to be made by some people yeah and yep. the decision of who has to make that sacrifice and what the sacrifice is typically isn't made by the people making the sacrifice well we're living <laughs> in exactly those times where yeah. the you know our leaders who who try as I could, I couldn't find the examples of them actually saying this is for the good of everybody. Uh-huh. You know, there was kind of hints to the wartime spirit and all that kind of stuff from the very people <laughs> in whose premises were activities that have attracted the highest number of um, COVID-breaking rule fines and penalties. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of yes. So it tends to be relied upon by yeah, the, the very sacrifices don't tend to be made it. by the people making the decisions. Exactly. Yeah. Let's go to war and and send all our young men into the trenches <laughs> for the common for the good, good, for the greater Absolutely. good. Yeah. 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 So our second example from yeah. well, Trump world at least in yeah. this case is uh, Joseph Imperatrice, who is yeah. the leader of uh, Blue Lives Matter, right? the pro-police and, by implication, anti-Black Lives Matter, because it's yeah. kind of minimising that organisation yeah. quite significantly, who uh, went on TV, on Fox, obviously. I'd say TV, yeah. yeah. I'd say TV. Yeah. In 2018, ESPN announced that this season they would not be broadcasting their national anthem before NFL games. These players make millions of dollars to play within white lines on American soil and get paid with American dollars. If they don't like it and they can't do this and look at the greater good, they can go elsewhere. What, what is the greater good in that context then? That's a yeah. great question. Yeah. The greater good is, is, it seems, that people won't have to watch them kneel before the game. Like, right. I mean, which is what ESPN are doing essentially by not yeah. broadcasting the national anthem is yeah. avoiding the controversy of that. Yeah. yeah. But he's framing it as everyone should be forced to stand yeah. for the national anthem and everyone who's watching should be forced to watch those people standing for the anthem for the greater good. For the greater good, <laughs> which is to remind us that we're all equal under the national anthem or... I don't know. It's really unclear. It's just it just seems to be anything that they disagree with <laughs> or anything that's happening that goes counter to what they believe in is therefore counter to the greater good. So these people ought to stop doing what they're doing, the thing that I don't agree with, for the greater good. Cause so they're going <laughs> to play the national anthem and what will happen is everyone will kneel. Yeah. Is that a greater good? Is that going to? You know, I mean, if I, of, I'm my opinion, if it raises awareness for well, yeah, quite. police brutality like against are, racial minorities, a, that yes. is the greater good. Yes, yeah. yes. And ESPN are kind of copping out by going, 
yeah, you know that problem we got with the brakes? So on the dashboard, the light pops up. We fixed it. Oh, great. What did you yeah, do? We, we took, took the, the bulb out. out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, we taped over the Absolutely. bulb. You can't see it. That's, the the yeah. weird thing is that, that he and others were freaking out about this as if yeah. it, as if this is some kind of hard fought and one tradition that yeah. that yeah. is every american's right to watch yeah. the national anthem pre 2009 the nfl players weren't even on the field for the national oh, anthem oh wow yeah. usually they were on the sidelines the anthem was played before the players got onto the field and even after that like the the season before this announcement was made the 2017 season yeah. um only 3 games broadcast on ESPN featured the national anthem before the game um and those wow. were the 16th anniversary of the 911 attacks fair enough yeah before a uh, a Cowboys Arizona Cardinals matchup in which the Cowboys owner Jerry Jones joined the players in in kneeling right yeah and before a Washington Kansas City game which took place after the mass shooting in Vegas Right. In 2017. So it was like a kind of moment of silence slash national anthem thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In respect of for the for the victims of the shooting. Yeah. So so they they played the anthem on TV before the game for a reason, typically. Yeah. You know, when it was when they were trying to kind of draw attention to patriotism or whatever. Not before every game, by any means. Or it's a moment to bring everybody together. Yeah. yeah, for the vast majority of the season, what they did was they played tape of the backstory of the, the rivalry between the two teams that were about to play and that kind of stuff. While in the stadium, the anthem was happening and people were kneeling and other, and people were booing and people were cheering and all the other yeah. stuff was going on. But, but they didn't get televised. No, it was, wasn't on telly anyway. It just happened that this season they said, yeah, we're not playing it, we're not doing it before the games. So yeah. that caused people like him to go on and complain about it and say this is against the common good if they're not going to to be there for the anthem and play the anthem they should fuck off for the greater yeah. good <laughs> <laughs> but it's and it's kind of it is about things being taken away isn't it it's that kind of it's just this this sense that something is being st- stolen from you and in doing so that's that's increasingly bad it's not it's not good for us to be deprived of this. Yeah. This thing that you didn't earn, didn't have any right to, didn't... <laughs> didn't miss before it wasn't on. No, exactly. Didn't never, notice that it doesn't usually yeah, happen. Yeah, <laughs> it's, not, it's not something that you had before. So it's that kind of... The only way to sell Brexit was on the basis of there are things that you're not being allowed to have. Yeah, fear of missing out. Yeah. yeah, what Europe does is prevent you from having things. And, of course, Brexit's turned out to be a whole bunch of things that we can't have anymore, like frictionless trade. Yeah, it's and- like if you go to a to a restaurant and you're looking at the menu and they say, yeah. oh, the, there's no steak tonight. And you're like, oh, I wasn't going to have steak, but now. I really want it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I feel there ought to be a right. Get me the manager or my name's not Karen. <laughs> and... Now is the time, I think, for Marx's British politics. Corner. So for some sort of safety, for the, for the greater good of my mental health, I kind of had to... I did watch Prime Minister's Questions. No, I didn't. I read a transcript of Prime Minister's Questions today. 
So I decided we'll go back. Let's go back. Go back. Imagine we're going back. Back with kind of wavy lines now. Back to back to the European elections in 2014, where for the first time member states got to vote for their party's representatives on the European Parliament. And it being a proportional representation deal, the number of seats would be allocated by the proportion of the votes that the parties received, which you would think would actually be for the common good. It would mean that the EU Parliament was the most representative elected parliament in Europe, certainly more representative than the UK's first-past-the-post. And in that election, there were representatives all the way from UKIP, UK Independence Party, all the way down to the World Socialist Party, Democratic Unionist Party in Northern Ireland. Everyone was represented because they all stood a chance of getting a seat in the European Parliament because it didn't matter how many people voted for them, as long as they had a certain threshold, a proportion of the of the vote, they would gain a seat. So in that uh, election, the UKIP's electoral stance was there are too many immigrants coming over here. Oh, and let's destroy the European Union. Uh, the Tories was, we've reduced our bill paid to the EU, so we're good for business. Labour's was, we need to protect workers' rights and ensure that's the case for European workers coming over here, taking our jobs. They had actors doing impressions of UKIP and the Tories to highlight the xenophobic and selfish stances on Europe. Oddly, not the Labour Party. The Green Party did this to run their campaign exactly on this common good argument. Whilst these guys have been fighting over Europe for the last four years, the Green Party has been making it better for everyone. Helping to cap bankers' bonuses, improve human rights for workers, make the EU more accountable. And because the vote at the Euro elections is proportional, every Green vote counts. If you vote Green on the 22nd of May, you will get more Green MEPs. So, if you think that Europe should be a shouting match, then fine. Go and talk to those guys. But if you think we should be making a Europe that is fairer for everyone, then vote Green. It's for the common good. So there, they actually said it. <laughs> there it is. And the thing is, of course, that that UKIP, the Tories, and Labour's broadcast, and yes, I watched them all, and the DUPs and the World Socialist Alliance, <laughs> they all assumed that what they were doing was also for the common good, the greater good than the other parties, but they didn't spell it out. And I think that it occurs to me that this is that they were examples of they were preaching to the converted. They didn't have to spell it out because everyone they were broadcasting to obviously understood that this was for the greater good. Which you know that kind of echo chamber thinking, which gave it let, let us be so blinkered during the Brexit vote, and to be honest, the Greens sounds a little bit lectury at worst. <laughs> it's for the common good. You kind of get well, you get sort of told off. You, you know, it's yeah. Look, just just they spell it out a bit too much, but it's also fairly reasonable. Let's forget our differences and adopt this for the benefit of everybody. And maybe that's a bit naive insofar as because they didn't read the room in the atmosphere of 2014, the febrile cauldron that's about to usher in Cameron winning in 2015 on the promise of a European referendum. And such polarised views were good for business and ways to cling to power. And in fact, the results of the 2014 European Parliament election for the United Kingdom is that 
UKIP, who went in there saying that the European Union was a terrible thing and we ought to be destroyed and we ought not to belong to the European Union. We should be coming out of Europe, won 24 seats. Yeah, the most divisive party yeah. possible. In, yeah. in contrast to the Greens, can't everyone yes. just get along kind of message? Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they were going, we don't want people in from Europe. We want to control our borders. We don't want to be part of Europe. Got the most votes in an election to get members of the European Parliament, the very organisation that was that they were saying they didn't want to be part of. You know, I wouldn't be a member Followed of the club. That, that very closely by Labour, who yes. were at least nominally the pro-Europe, or or one of the, the kind of uh, most prominent yeah. pro-Europe yeah. party. Yeah. Um, although the kind messaging was... Somewhat confused. Not great. Yeah, not great. <laughs> no, they should... Yeah, they were too... As, as we've often discussed with the left, um, or people that aren't on the right, they're too nuanced. They were kind of... Mm. Worried about, well, I think they more than anybody acknowledged the fact that the, uh, well, as it turned out, the leave and remain vote, the pro Europe and anti Europe vote, wasn't on party lines, down, wasn't split down party lines. So they understood that they have in their voting hinterland people who are both pro Europe. And anti-Europe. Conservative Party were next with 19 seats. The Green Party, who said it's for the common good, only got three votes, three seats. Not more than three votes. No, three three, more than three votes. So they got a million <laughs> votes. Yeah, but they got three seats. Yeah, so even though, right, even though it was kind of supposedly proportional representation, UKIP got four million votes with 24 seats for for 4,376,000 yeah. 24 seats labor 4,020,000 20 seats conservative party 3,792,000 19 seats green party 1,136,000 3 seats yeah liberal democrats over a million votes one seat one seat they got literally almost 10 times the amount the dup got and the same number of same seats number of seats yeah. It's fucking absurd. Yeah. So when when people say, "Oh, yeah, let's get proportional representation," in, you kind of go, "Well, really? Yeah. Is a it a quarter of yeah. the votes of the Labour Party and one twentieth of the seats?" Yeah. 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 There you Not go. that I'm bitter so or anything. Don't lecture people <laughs> on the common good, right? That's all I'm saying. Because yeah. So and in many ways, the fact that UKIP won their racist, xenophobic stance was why the Leave campaign gained so much traction and eventually led to Brexit. That and the Tories' determination, well, under Boris, because Cameron was a Remainer, to st- it was their determination to stage a power grab by seeing the writing on the wall and absorbing UKIP's voter base. You see, the Tories have got no guilt. There's no shame. No shame. No, 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 shame. no nothing. No, no worries at all about ditching their centrist voters because they'll just go, oh, fuck that. We're gonna if we if we stick to our centrist policies we're going to be out of power the Tories have been that's why the Tory party is the longest running longest running yeah I guess it's a bit like you know it's kind of like a horror franchise really <laughs> longest the longest running um, political party in Europe I think in the history of politics 
because mainly they're about doing whatever it takes to stay in power. They are the the true exponents of Machiavellian politics. So our our second example is a bit of a cheeky one, but it's well worth hearing again, because it's David Davis, who was the Brexit minister under Theresa May, and he made some comments recently, the last but two times Boris was up and apologising, and I think they're worthy of uh, inclusion again, and I think it's got something to say about the greater good too. David Davis! Thank you, Mr Speaker. Like many on these benches, I spent weeks and months defending the Prime Minister uh, against often angry constituents. I reminded them of his success in delivering Brexit and the vaccine and many other things. But I expect my leaders to shoulder the responsibility for the actions they take. Yesterday, he did the opposite of that. So I'll remind him of a quotation altogether too familiar to him of Leo Amory to Neville Chamberlain. You have sat there too long for all the good you have done. In the name of God, go. So I think in there there's two inclusions of the greater good. I think there's a there's a bit of a, a sideways gag in there. There's kind of implication that the things he had to depend on the part of the PM to his constituents in reminding them of his successes with getting Brexit done and the vaccination and other things, which, you know, to howls of derisive laughter from the rest of the House. Um, I think the implication there is that they are perhaps not in the best interests of his constituents, uh, not for the greater good of the nation, but he did so for the greater good of the party. That's certainly in there. I did this stuff. I defended his things against my constituents' complaints for the greater good of the party and Boris's continued employment and the party's continuation in office and even towards their increased majority in 2019. But now, with that quote from Leo Amory to Neville Chamberlain, that Boris goes on to disingenuously not know where it came from. It came from the book he had written about Churchill, biography, terrible biography, <laughs> but he did put that quote in the book. Um, he then appeals to the greater good, to the reputation of the party and its prospects in the next election for the, all the good you have done. You've sat there too long in the name of God go, which in a way seems to be an appeal to the greatest good of all <laughs> and somehow re reiterates what I was saying earlier about this idea that the, the greater good, our good is a greater good than your good. It's like fighting with God on our side. You know, when both in in the Christian world, anyway, at least when the two supposedly Christian nations go to war, and even as recently as Blair in the Iraq War said, I asked God whether this was right, and he said yes. And he kind of go, well, surely the other guys are going to say God's on their side as well. It's that there's yeah, it's very much like when there. sports teams kind of. Uh, you know, both teams pray before the game. and like, well, yeah, which, yeah. <laughs> who prayed better? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You didn't pray enough. We've got 11 players here, <laughs> and one of you didn't pray. That's almost a Gary Larson far-side <laughs> cartoon, isn't uh -huh. it? Yeah. So, and and I sneaked, sneaked in a third one, because um, this put me in mind of Jeffrey Howe's 
similar resignation speech in November 1990 when he appealed, albeit much more mildly and indirectly, to Margaret Thatcher to consider her position for the greater good. Mr Speaker, in my letter of resignation, which I tendered with the utmost sadness and dismay, I said that cabinet government is all about trying to persuade one another from within. That was my commitment to government by persuasion, persuading colleagues and the nation. I've tried to do that as Foreign Secretary and since. But I realise now that the task has become futile of trying to stretch the meaning of words beyond what was credible, of trying to pretend there was a common policy when every step forward risked being subverted by some casual comment or impulsive answer. The conflict of loyalty, of loyalty to my right honourable friend the Prime Minister, and of loyalty to what I perceive to be the true interest of this nation, that conflict of loyalty has become all too great. I no longer believe it possible to resolve that conflict from within this government. That is why I have resigned. In doing so, I have done what I believe to be right for my party and my country. The time has come for others to consider their own response to the tragic conflict of loyalties with which I have myself wrestled for perhaps too long. Of course, his speech had the consequence of the, a night of the long knives for Thatcher when Michael Heseltine mounted a leadership challenge a few days later in which Thatcher did not win a large enough majority outright, so she withdrew from the competition and five days later, John Major became leader. Those days when Tory MPs had a notion of a greater good than simply unconditional support for a greased pig of a leader. And it pains me to say so about Margaret Thatcher, possibly greater integrity as a leader. I mean, it, it is hard to believe that, I mean, I I will not go as far as to say we're looking back with kind of any sense of nostalgia for Thatcher. No, no. But in the same way as Trump made Bush not as shit a president, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. When Bush was in, it yeah. was it was inconceivable that there would ever be a worse president. Yes. And then Trump came along. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, with, same thing with, happened. Yeah. When you're comparing Thatcher to Boris, you're like, yeah. Maybe not the worst. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's Jeffrey Howe kind of, his complaint was, uh, well, in particular, he, he resigned over actually Europe and the notion that we would join the European exchange rate mechanism, uh, possibly even the single currency, but there was all that kind of stuff that the Treasury and various conversations that were happening with the Chancellor and his opposite number in Brussels and the Treasury, that they were having these conversations. And then Thatcher would just go, no, no, no. And he likened it to, using a cricketing metaphor, it's like going out to be the first to bat and then realising that the captain had broken all your ra all your rackets, broken your bat, <laughs> smashed your bats yeah. before you'd even got out there. So him, him saying... He was finding it difficult to reconcile loyalty to the Prime Minister, Thatcher, and loyalty to the party and what the party stands for, which 
is for me the greater good of the party so he was saying i found it difficult to reconcile the two because of the stretching the meaning of words beyond all that's possible and you just watch the acolytes all going out and defending boris much like david davis had and they got to the point where david davis couldn't reconcile being a human and And twisting the meaning of words to uh, to defend, you know, it's like all the people that went out for Trump that said, "Oh yeah, of course, kofifi is a word," rather than going, "No, it's just it's just misspelled coffee." That's what yeah. he's done. The um, yeah, the nostalgia is for a time when there was a line. Yes, <laughs> yes, there, and there was a notion that going beyond that line is no longer for the greater good. Yeah. And and that there was sufficient integrity in the the you know, the heartless uh, person of the Iron Lady Thatcher herself, sufficient integrity to say, right, I've overstepped that line. It's become about me rather than the greater good of the party, if not the greater good of the country. Certainly not for the greater good of the country, <laughs> but for the greater good of the party. And that's what how is appealing to was appealing to mm. and amazing that such a, a understated speech i mean it's an excellent speech you get we'll mm. put the link in the show notes it goes it's like half an hour long but it's it's fab and um <laughs> and, well, i can't believe you're coming out as a secret tory yeah, secret, <laughs> yeah but well i think it's fab because it led to the downfall of that <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's very <laughs> understated and finely crafted speech. the late lamented Dennis Horseman there with I could be so good for you I think that's going to appeal to a very small demographic yeah. within our audience of <laughs> a lot of googling <laughs> a certain age of the 11% or whatever that our audience is in the UK um, and, and everyone else is going to be what the fuck was that what was that so, yeah. <laughs> but we all know yeah. him as the oh, man who used yeah, yeah. to appear in the show he writes the tunes writes sings, sings the theme tunes, tune. yeah, yeah. tunes yeah yeah died recently yeah <laughs> and did. and everybody kind of went oh we miss him terribly we didn't we don't <laughs> he was a shit actor yeah. shit singer shit songwriter yeah. shit husband yeah. <laughs> yeah have you been talking to ruler lenska <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. anyway 
In the Fantasy in the Wild, we like to talk about the Fantasy of the Week from a non-political perspective, and uh, this week, our first example comes from the reason that I chose episode 101 for this yeah, yeah, Fantasy, yeah, of which is 1984, yeah. because of Room 101, and because of the fact that although they don't use the phrase, the greater good, yeah. in either the film or the book, yeah. and therefore I don't have a clip, it's throughout both, really, both the film yeah. and the book, in terms of why people are supposed to do the things that they do as part of the party. Why they are stripping individualism from everyone and the ability to dissent and the ability to think for yourself. Yeah. Um, it is all about the good of the party and the good of the collective. At least that is what it seems to be through the book. Yeah. And when Winston Smith is being tortured... He is asked by O'Brien why he thinks the inner party uh, members cling to power. Yep. And he says he knew in advance what O'Brien would say, that the party did not seek power for its own ends, but only for the good of the majority. That it sought power because men in the mass were frail, cowardly creatures who could not endure liberty or face the truth and must be ruled over and systematically deceived by others who were stronger than themselves. So Smith's assumption is that... The party believes, or the the, the inner the, the leaders of the party, the inner party, yeah. Uh, yeah. believe that they are doing everything for the good of the majority. Yeah. For the for, yeah, yeah. for they are controlling you, they are deceiving you, they're manipulating you for your own good. Yeah, O'Brien actually kind of upends that and says, uh, "No, it's not for that. It's because power is its own end. We are we yeah. seek power for power's sake." But obviously, this is only. At this point, when Smith has kind of come to this level, he's he's now being imprisoned and, and ultimately sent to Room 101. And so that's that information isn't to get out to the populace. It's important yeah. that they believe everything they do is for the greater good. <laughs> we must read it again, because actually, never mind Machiavelli, never mind uh, Thatcher's... Did she write a biography? That's the book that the current Tory party... Absolutely run by actually is power for power's sake yeah. absolutely you know they're taught that god damn it that's the first text they're given uh, eaten oh my god i'm gonna have to go back and read it again <laughs> oh no so our second example comes yep. from star trek 2 the wrath of khan ah, of course it does yes <laughs> yes yes and uh, this is from early in the film when spock is at this point captain of the enterprise it's being used to kind of train new cadets, but there's an issue with a, a um, science centre that they need to go and kind of help. And and so Kirk, who is an admiral just kind of visiting the Enterprise at this point, uh, is is now going to take over the ship. And, and uh, Spock is saying the important thing is that we have the right person kind of taking us into this mission uh, it doesn't matter that I, you know, my ego isn't going to be bruised. I'm a Vulcan. I don't have an ego. So it's fine. This is what we should be doing. Were I to invoke logic, logic clearly dictates that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Or the one. He's ultimately saying, you know, I, my kind of need to be in charge, not important compared yeah. to the people that we will go and help. Yeah. So let's do that. Yeah, And it's obviously also, if you know the film, setting up the yeah. end. And it ultimately comes back in other films, uh, is subverted directly in the next film, The Search for Spock. Yeah. Where yeah. 
they put everything on the line just to save Spock. To go get Spock, um, yeah. And, and Kirk says, essentially, in that film, the needs of the few outweigh the needs of the many. And Spock just sees that as, as being human rather than being logical, and those two things can't go together. But it's about valuing life, essentially. Mm. And it is logical to value life of someone who is your friend yeah and risk you know it's not he's not giving up the lives of the rest of his crew for spock he is risking the lives of his crew yeah. to save spock which is yeah. a different thing but i think they all buy into it yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely exactly. yeah and and that is common throughout both the original series i mean basically every star trek that there has been is yeah. there's an element yeah. of yeah. Everyone risking the, to save one. a few, the, the one. usually. Um, yeah. And yet the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few is this kind of a running through line. Yeah, yeah. So well, they don't stick to I, it I, at all. I'd, compl- I'd utterly forgotten Corbyn's election thing in the 2015 for the many, not the few. Mm. So his entire raison d'etre, politically campaign speaking, was for the common good. It's yeah. for the common man, the working man, for the many rather than the few. I mean, it's, that's the thing, and that's why this is a fallacy, is it really depends who the few are. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> if yeah. the few are the the wealthy elite who, yeah. if, you know, on the, on the broken backs of the workers get a little yep. bit richer, yeah. that's not great. If yeah. the few are an oppressed minority who, yeah. who need support from society as a whole otherwise they get continually more oppressed yeah then the fact that removing oppression for a for a minority may cause a slight inconvenience to a larger number of people yeah <laughs> yeah well not at all it's just just a slight adjustment in their in their concept their perception of the the well, some, yeah, equality sometimes. of the balance but of even rights. if it is even if i mean look uh, for example if you had to kind of have a whip round to save someone's life and everyone had to put in one p to say yeah. one cent to save some save a person's life yeah most people would think yeah all right you know that's fine that. yeah. it it, yeah. it minorly inconveniences a large number of people but it yeah. significantly benefits one person but ultimately that's what universal healthcare is yeah, it is, yeah, yeah, it is yeah. a a relatively small number of people. Um, although in in real numbers, it's a large number of people. But compared to the entire population, it's relatively small. Yeah. Those number of people are helped possibly that well, not just possibly in in huge number of cases, their lives are saved. Yeah, and it costs the entire population a little bit of money with the added incentive that. If I fall down in the street yeah. or I'm knocked over in the street, it doesn't cost me any money to yeah. be taken off to hospital and, and fixed. Yeah. Yeah, I can benefit from the same uh, national insurance as everybody else. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, uh, and and in a way, that's the needs of the few. There you go. Be yeah. Outweighing the the wants, the slight inconvenience of the many. Yeah. Um, and... And that balancing act is really what's important and why it needs to be so nuanced, this conversation. Yes. Because yes. depending on how much inconvenience there is and how much that costs everyone and how much the, that system is then able to help people and so on, yeah, it becomes useful, not useful, 
something that is desirable or not. Or something that's politic- politically manipulable to say, well, why should I pay a, a, a local authority tax which pays for the street lamps when I don't have a street lamp outside my house? Yeah. Well, yeah, but, that's, but other people do. And you want people to be able to walk home safely at night, yeah. don't you? Yeah. You know, why should I pay for the fire service? My house isn't on fire. My house is made of yeah. stone. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Or yes, quite. Or, yeah. or and and that kind of that whole notion of, well, actually, wouldn't it be fair that if it were possible to for everyone to to give according to their ability, <laughs> and well, everyone and get would, according to their needs, and get according to their yeah, needs, yeah. you kind of go, well, yeah, I'm 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 in <laughs> need of a bricklayer, or I'm in need of access to free. Um, healthcare. Well, I could. I know how to lay bricks, and actually, I can afford to give fifteen cents a, a year to, yeah. to to this. I might not. That you know. There, but it's surprising no one's come up with that. I know. Um, yeah. yeah. So our third example is from Hot Fuzz, and yeah. I know any people who are fans of this film. Yeah. Probably the moment we said the greater so, good. Greater good. They're going. The greater oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And yes, that is the basis for the main plot of this film. I'm arresting you under suspicion of conspiracy to commit murder. <laughs> oh, come, come, Sergeant. You should be ashamed. Calling yourself a community that cares. Oh, but we do care, Nicholas. It's all about the greater good. The greater good. How can this be for the greater good? The greater good. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah. The greater good. Isn't at one point, does he say, just stop saying it. Yeah, shut up. up. He says. Yeah. Um, yeah, so basically this is a community of kind of middle-aged white conservatives in a village yeah. who are a bit pissed off by anything that doesn't fit their idea of what a good village is, like yeah. travellers or people in hoodies or... Terrible actors. Yeah. Yeah, people with nasty houses. And yeah. so they kill them. Yeah. For the greater good. For the greater good. That's their entire justification. Yeah. Because they want their village. In fact, this was 10 years before Trump. Yeah. Uh, and in the film, they say, all we want to do is, no matter what it costs, make Sanford great again. <laughs> nice. And yes. yeah, that that yeah. is what they're yeah. trying to do. Is They're trying to make this village their idea of a good British village. And it doesn't matter how many people have to die to achieve it because it's all for the greater good. Yes. So my example that I've um, hit upon only I've got, I just, I've just finished watching the fourth series of Killing Eve. If you haven't seen it, it, it's fantastic. It must be on BBC.com because it's a BBC America co-production. Just watch it. It's marvelous. And uh, the last episode features the, um, the new MI6 agent, who's this kind of inept, uh, sort of uh, probably a Cambridge graduate, and uh, he's confronting Carolyn, who is the wise and long-standing agent, about how he tolerates the unsavoury bits of, of what's going on. Do you want to know why I got into this job? Would not know to tell you? I believe in what we do. And I know it might surprise you to hear this, but I take pride in protecting our country. Well, the good bits, anyway. Not so much the eggy bits. 
And I do the unsavory things that we all have to do because I believe that they are necessary for the greater good. But you, I think you love the unsavory. You get off on the lying and the sneaking around and the little nod to somebody on a Monday morning that gets somebody a thousand miles away killed. Aren't you even a tiny bit ashamed of yourself? So basically, he's trying her to trying to get her to spill the tea over her love of the unsavoury bits, i.e., the countless arranged killings that she's carried out, mostly on behalf of MI6. <laughs> and that, and you know, she kind of at one stage later on, she says, "the the thing about most people is they will do exactly what you expect them to do," which is a foreshadowing of the ultimate end. Um, I won't spoil it. Watch it. Um, but it's so interesting that he says, I only do the unsavory bits involved in this business, like the sneaking around and the little nods to get somebody a thousand miles away killed. Those are the unsavory bits because of the greater good. Yeah. Uh, who's to define that? It's difficult with Carolyn because she's quite a. There's a lot going on. In, with Carolyn. Yeah, layers. <laughs> I, I don't even think it's necessarily that she really likes the unsavoury bits. It's just no. she is completely sanguine about them. She sees them as necessary, yeah. but her her greater good is to get back to work for MI6. Yeah, she has a she has a, a mission, essentially, yeah. which in season four becomes her own personal mission. Yeah. And, um, yeah, she whatever it takes, it doesn't matter what it what has to happen yeah. to achieve it, that. Because the great um, she's good dispassionate is she, about it. She gets back to yeah. being part of MI6. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna play fake news, folks. I love the game. It's a great game. I understand the game as well as anybody, as well as anybody. Yes, it's time for fake news. The game where I read out three Trump quotes, two of which are real and one I made up, and Mark has to figure out which one is fake news. Because deep down, we both know that we should forgo this charade of going through the motions of reading them out and. And just award me the the win, because you know, for, for the greater good. Because sometimes the needs of the one outweigh <laughs> the needs of the many. I would argue that the greater good, yeah. is is the listeners getting to enjoy the fact that you're. Yeah, we should play the having trouble anthem. with this. We should <laughs> we should see everybody come out on thing for the greater good. You know, we shouldn't just kind of hide this stuff. For the greater good, we've got to go through the the whole <laughs> rigmarole where we could just award me the point now and save people the heartache. Surely that's the greater good. So it? these yep. statements yep. are from a rally that Trump did in Pennsylvania last month. All right. And it was one of those ones where you think, is he all right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we haven't thought that for a long time. Yeah. Not since the slope. Not this, since <laughs> yeah. walked down the slope. Yeah, yeah. He was just kind of like you were kind of listening and going, "What? What? What? What are you saying?" She's thinking. So, so yeah, we've got a few of those. Just press the emergency alarm, and, and uh -huh. Medicare will be there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, statement number one: mm -hmm. He's been teasing whether he's going to run or not right. in 2024 a lot. Right. And uh, he said. We're going to be back in the White House. I won't say who will be there, but I think you're going to be very happy. I wonder who it will be. I can't say right now. But it's a beautiful place. Nine and a half million people visit. Think of it. Nine and a half million. Every day. Or every very short period of time, at least. That's a lot of people. 
nine and a half million people every day. <laughs> yeah, he's confusing that with the insurrection. He's kind of going, <laughs> yeah, you know, nine, uh, nine and a half hundred thousand people climbing all over it every day, every day, every January the 6th, they do it on the dot. Uh, statement number okay. two. <laughs> Yeah. Pennsylvania is the Commonwealth where our founding fathers declared American energy independence. Think of that. You were the first ones many, many, many years ago. Who would think where we are? We had it done a year and a half ago, and today we're begging for energy. We're begging enemies for energy. Hmm. Enemies for energy. Quite like that. Number three. Yeah. yeah. This is about his negotiations with the Taliban. Right. <laughs> Okay. Because he that. thought that they were killing too many American soldiers, oh, okay. he said. Yep. So, mm-hmm. so I said, no more, you're not going to do it, Abdul. I said it much tougher. I don't want to sort of imitate it now. But I said, Abdul, if you do anything more, we're going to blow you to pieces. We're going to blow you to pieces. And he said, yes, Your Excellency, I understand. He called me Your Excellency, which was nice. <laughs> also not true. But, yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, oh, who's he talking about? Abdul, just just some stereotypical... The leader of the Taliban. Abdul. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Abdul al-Taliban. Taliban. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Back in the White House, nine and a half million. <sighs> yeah, it's, it's, you see that in there, there are sprinkled in there Jim-sized jokes in all three of them. Yes, I see what you're doing now. Yes, <laughs> so there's nine and a half million every day, enemies for energy, and excellency, which was nice. Okay. Right, so it's fundamentally which... <laughs> Which of the jokes do I think are more Trumpian than Cliffian? Right. Okay. I quite like to hear him say nine and a half million every day. And also enemies for energy. Pennsylvania is the Commonwealth where our founding fathers declared American energy independence. That's bullshitty enough to be true. Which was nice. It's a very almost Trump-like, not so much far show. Trump-like. Okay, I no no. All right, I'm going to go for enemies for energy. I think that no, I'm gonna. Okay, I think number three is the one that you made up. Okay, yeah. So of the other two. Yeah. Which are you more convinced by? Uh, the, the nine and a half million in the White House, number one. And number one... Obviously true. Is... Yeah. Fake news. Oh, wow. Oh, that's very good. That is that is entirely made up out of whole cloth. There's nothing like it. Wow. Um, that's nice. Yeah. Nicely understated. Where did that come from? Yeah, he has been teasing his 2024 run. Yeah, yeah. By yeah. saying, "I think you'll be very happy." Yeah, but but yeah. Other than that, I I don't even know because the nine it's six thousand people visit the White House every day. Yeah, I just thought, yeah, that's that's mad enough that he might think possibly it's that many people. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and yeah, and yeah, and it is because I was utterly convinced by the entirety of that, which amazed even you. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And then kind of every day, and then he kind of checks himself or every very short period of time. At least <laughs> to a lot of people. Wow, uh-huh. that's brilliant that you could just come up with that apropos of nothing, and it be utterly. I can't wait till we get the mooch on the show. <laughs> and, <laughs> Which of these did you write, <laughs> Anthony? Yeah. Wow. Uh, oh, so, right. Well, I don't mind losing to that. That's a good so one. yeah. You also thought number two was real, and yeah. uh, and obviously, as we know now, it is uh, number two is real. All good. Pennsylvania is the Commonwealth where our founding fathers declared American energy independence. Think of that. You were the first ones. Many, many, many. Years ago, who would think where we are? We had it done a year and a half ago, and today we're begging for energy. We're begging enemies for energy. Yeah, Don, Don you're right. You're okay. So the yeah. founding fathers declared American energy independence. Yeah, they had all Remember the they, did they could use. Yeah, I've seen. I've seen the the you know the, <laughs> the declaration of energy independence. Yeah, <laughs> hanging. In, <laughs> in yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, obvious. What? It's it's like, why does he have this thing in his brain where it's in, it, he cannot just say, "Oh, I didn't mean that. I meant American independence." Yeah, he can't possibly cope with the fact that he's made a mistake. So when he no. claims the founding fathers declared energy independence. <laughs> He has yeah. to then talk about energy. Yeah. As if yeah. it makes some sense then. <laughs> you were the first ones. You were the first ones. Yeah. Many, In many, many years ago. Who would have think where we are? We did it. We had it done a we year had... and a half ago. Not many, many. Not... No, the Founding Fathers back in back in twenty early 2021. Yeah. <laughs> we had it done a year and a half ago. And today we're begging for energy. We're begging enemies for energy. Is that true? That's not even true. No, it's not. But he was like, "No, what's this? I've, I reckon this is happening. So therefore, this is happening. Yeah. And then I, and so I can complain about it. Yeah. Just, just think. <laughs> just think. We had American energy independence, the founding fathers. So uh-huh. is that 1776 or is it earlier? Yeah. 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 Earlier yeah, than that. Yeah. You know that when was, they signed uh, the Declaration of American I mean, Energy. Independence. To be fair. They yeah. were energy independent. Well, I guess so. In, yeah. In that period, they yeah. were not importing yeah. energy from other countries. No, they were chopping down and burning they, their own yeah. trees. Yeah. Yeah. I'm and, reasonably confident that's not what he meant, though. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think reason, <laughs> reason and reasonableness probably win out in uh-huh. this, this thing. Yeah. So, despite the despite my misgivings about your excellency, which was nice, yeah, he he, did he say actually that. did say that. I said no more. You're not going to do it, Abdul. I said it much stuff. I don't want to sort of imitate it now, but I said, Abdul, if you do anything more, we're going to blow you to pieces. We're going to blow you to pieces. And he said, Yes, Your Excellency, I understand. He called me Your Excellency, which was nice. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I don't want to sort of imitate it now, and then yeah. I'll go ahead and sort of imitate it now. Yeah, but he didn't imitate how tough he was when oh, okay. he said it to Abdul. Okay. He, he didn't just do it said, we're going to blow you to pieces, which, you know, gets his whole yeah, crown. Yeah, big, big cheer for blowing people to pieces. Big pieces, yeah, why not? Um, you know? Yeah. And he called and me, yeah, he called me Excellency, which, which was nice. nice. Which was not true, <laughs> because he didn't have that conversation with anybody. Uh, much like our Fallacy in the Wild sting, yeah. there will be a portion of our audience who, who recognises which was nice. Uh, yeah, which was nice. As a catchphrase of a British sketch show called yeah. The Far Show. Yeah. I spent a while looking yeah. for any evidence that Trump had had used any other fast show catchphrases. Right. So that I could do a... Fast this show is catchphrase. Is wow. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But yeah. no, he's. Uh, I can't. You know. Did he not talk about draining the lower lower no, field? No, or... no. Oh, I wouldn't know about that, sir. This week I'll be <laughs> mainly wearing Dolce Gabbana. No, he hasn't asked. Does my bum look big in this? Yeah, or Scorpio. or eth 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 eth. Yeah, yeah. No, weirdly, or there's someone sitting there, mate. You know, I just there's. He hasn't said suits you, sir. There's just no. I I couldn't. I I spent a. Because uh, I thought that was what a great theme. Yeah, Fast show catchphrases yeah. in yeah. Trump speeches, but no. And I would have had fun coming up with a fake one. Yeah. <laughs> there, there will be some crossover for our uh, American based listeners because Johnny Depp was once. He was, he on was an in the final of the episode of the Fast Show. Yeah. 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 He was in a suit suit, sir. Yes. Because he was a huge fan. Yeah. In um, Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. Yeah, he does a a Roly Birkin thing, I think. Who's uh, and, and they made me their chief. <laughs> really? Yeah, very, very, very drunk. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So there's definitely there will be some American listeners who who yeah. have have yeah. seen the far show. So that means that you did not get a point oh, this man. time, unfortunately, oh, uh, which no. leaves you with forty five out of ninety one. Which I'm sorry, guys, I let you down. But, yeah. you know, for the greater good, had to be done. It was entertaining. That's the greater good. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it's time for the part of the show that this week, at least, is called Primaries and Not a Logical Fallacy, because it's been primary oh, season. it's so satisfying. It's been really very satisfying, <laughs> isn't it? It's been satisfying in places... Like North Carolina, for example. Yeah. Where Madison Cawthorn lost. Yeah. That's very satisfying. Yeah. And um, and and also can't run again ever. Well, they've revived the case, but I, they haven't resolved the case. Originally, the lower court decided that he would be allowed to run. Right. But an appeals court has said that they will hear it, and they and they haven't decided. They haven't ruled yet on whether right. he will be allowed to run i don't think but yes i wouldn't be surprised and that could hold some sway for an appeal on marjorie taylor green's uh, case as well because she yeah. orig- she won her original case and there may be an appeal pending yeah. on that one because they're not 1872 confederates yeah. yeah 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 but she did win in georgia uh her congressional primary uh so she will be on the ballot and realistically probably will win that yeah Although Georgia is arguably trending more purple than red yeah. and it has been moving in that direction, certainly with their Senate seats last, well, the gen- January 2021. Yeah, because isn't 
Abrams in Georgia? She is. She's yeah. she's running for governor. Right. As she did last time. Yeah. But Brian Kemp won. In fact, Brian Kemp will be facing Stacey Abrams again because, right. because despite Trump uh, <laughs> endorsing David Perdue for yeah. Georgia governor, Brian yeah. Kemp absolutely mullered him yeah. um, in, in the governor's <laughs> race. <laughs> Which is a, a nice crossover. That's kind of a UK <laughs> phrase, but it's got, it's got a nice kind of Muller. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, echo. Yeah, nice. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Brian Kemp beat David Perdue soundly in the governor's race, yeah. uh, despite Trump's endorsement. In fact, a lot of the press around the primaries, uh, certainly in the UK and some I've seen in the US as well, yeah. has been around the fact that Trump's endorsements seem to hold less weight, certainly yes. in these in these yeah. primaries, than they have done in the past. And I think, didn't Trump put some money behind Perdue as well? It didn't just kind of put his kind of money where his mouth was. It doesn't won't be sound money, like obviously. Trump, does it? No. no. <laughs> yeah, no, I think he's... Uh, of of the large amount of money that he has grifted from his supporters, <laughs> some, um, of some of that some of that has gone to... Might have been pledged uh, to. People kind of down ballot, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. did you actually pay it? No, I pledged <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah. So, among other people that Trump nominated... or not nominated, mm. he endorsed... Well, for example, for the Secretary of State race in again in Georgia. Yeah. Unsurprisingly, he's he was largely endorsing people who are trying to beat people who didn't buy into the big lie. Yeah. And obviously yeah. Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State for Georgia, was the one who had the phone call with Trump where he kind of refused to go out and just find yeah. those just, votes. Can you find eleven thousand? 11,000 votes, yeah. So Trump endorsed Jody Heiss. Uh, Raffensperger beat Jody Heiss uh, by some margin. A significant victory. Yeah. Also, the Attorney General in Georgia, Chris Carr, has won that primary uh, against the, the candidate that Trump endorsed in that race. It seems like kind of win or lose, the candidates that have been endorsed by Trump largely seem to be getting around 30%. So in races right. where there are several candidates and 30% is enough to be the one in the lead. Yeah. They seem to be winning and in races where there's two people that is not enough. Yeah, yeah, because you've got to get 50% or more. Yeah. You? Yeah. So like the Nebraska and the Idaho governors races, the Trump endorsed candidates got 30% in those and lost. And yeah, it doesn't seem like he's getting a significant proportion. And in fact, various news organisations have spoken to voters in those places where they've had primaries this, mm. this week who have said, you know, I voted for Trump in 2016. I, in some cases, they've said I voted for him again in 2020. But he's he's nominated... He's, why do I keep saying nominated? <laughs> he's endorsing these people yeah. who I just don't agree with. They're, they're right. terrible. They're, you know, not good candidates. Yeah. So they aren't feeling kind of motivated to go in that direction. I wonder if there is, ironically, a great awakening happening that they're realising that in endorsing these candidates, they're beginning to see the Trump in his true colours because they're in, endorsing... He's endorsing them because they're the ones that perpetuate the big lie. And they're seeing that all he's out for is his own aggrandizement. I mean, if that if they are seeing that, I'm curious why they had their eyes closed for the last four years. Well, because uh, <laughs> because it's been filtered. So then it was Trump doing it, who was yeah. the, you know, the the 
the but now he's not in the limelight he's not shining the light so they're actually the 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 only way he can bring about any kind of influence in their local politics is by endorsing these candidates and they're going to kind of go yeah but that's a fairly ropey candidate yeah um, why is he endorsing them well it's purely because they're willing to sacrifice their integrity and humanity for the greater good, the greater good of, of, yeah, Trump. of yeah. promoting the idea that the election was stolen when it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it's hard to say. I mean, in some cases that has been a winning argument. Um, yeah. Herschel Walker has won his Senate primary in Georgia um, which is fucking insane that that is who Repu- Georgian Republicans think is a good candidate. I mean, so he's who was he, going he up. up against? Was he up against well, another three and he got 30%? Actually, I don't know who he was up against, but I mean, surely like a bucket of piss. He can't possibly have beaten another human. That's. It's. Like I only, can't... He, he only beat the bucket of piss because then you know it's not particularly strong on education, yeah, and critical race theory, yeah. I mean, I yeah, I just I can't even conceptualize a, a human that Herschel Walker could beat in a in a in an election, and yet in the in the ultimate in the the kind of Senate election in the midterms, yeah, he will be facing Raphael Warnock. He is currently. Roughly even with Raphael yep. Warnock in yep. the polls, so that's going to be a tight race. Yep. Hopefully, some <laughs> kind of logic and reason and sanity will prevail. Or maybe someone hopefully, will dig the bucket. Hopefully, <laughs> Stacey Abrams will be a will will have enough time. <laughs> yeah, uh, while also running in her governor's race against Brian Kemp to help get out the vote enough or have inspired yeah. enough people yeah. to get out the vote in Georgia to mean that Raphael Warnock will will prevail in that race because, yeah. Jesus Christ, oh, Herschel nice. Walker. I mean, we talked a couple of episodes ago about about him and his delusional <laughs> um, run. Yeah. And, yeah. wow. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, he's obviously a big Trump supporter. Um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders in yeah. Arkansas. In a weird way, I kind of miss her. Really? I mean, she yeah, she's got the the governor uh, race there. She's yeah, got she's yeah. won the the Republican nomination for for governor. The Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, uh, he's won his his primary against George P. Bush. Uh, there's such a lot of George Bushes, aren't there? There are. There's, there's yeah. a, a new <coughs> one every time of... you turn over a rock. <laughs> and in, in the report, I was somewhat dismayed. To, to read that they described him as part of the the Bush political dynasty. Dynasty, yeah. yeah. And in in a kind of Kennedy kind of way. <laughs> and you think, oh, yeah, really? <laughs> really? A dynasty? Can you have a dynasty of sub-educated idiots? I mean, George H.W. Bush yeah. obviously disagree with him on everything. But yeah. no, I don't, I wouldn't have said he was an idiot. I mean, thing is, I'm I'm comparing him to George W. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, anyone, Herschel Walker, almost. Yeah, not quite. That's crazy. But Donald I mean, Trump. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's a there's a weird hierarchy, and yeah. and George W. Bush has yeah. has 
been raised up by these other people who've come yeah. along more recently. I mean, you know, but, yes, it's, it's kind of like looking at a musical stave and going, yeah. you can't get much lower than that yeah. note. And then somebody no. invents a synthesizer that can go several notes lower. When you compare W to his dad, I think it makes his dad yeah, yeah, yeah. extremely yeah. good by comparison. Yeah. The fact that they're smart enough to continue breeding, yeah. I guess, is you know he's one in the plus <laughs> column. Yeah, the fact that they can tie their shoes is quite surprising yeah. in some cases. It's yeah. but yeah, yeah, George George P. I think he was the only member of the family who was like, yeah, Trump, he's good, and right. yet he didn't get the endorsement. Ken yeah, Tyson did so, and he does look nothing like any of the other bushes. No, he's the black sheep of the Bush family, he which is, is saying yeah. something. <laughs> Um, Doctor Oz, yeah. Uh, yeah. in in Pennsylvania, Senate race in Pennsylvania, yeah. uh, up against David McCormick. Doctor Oz was was endorsed by Trump, and yeah. he is currently less than one tenth of a percent up on David McCormick. That that, is, wow. that race is is too close wow. to call, and it will trigger an automatic recount. I think. Yeah, yeah. And where is that? That's in Pennsylvania, right? Where they had. Problems with recounts before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's taken a while yeah. to get the, the yeah. results. In fact, uh, Trump has already suggested that Doctor Oz just claim claim victory. Just claim that's it. The best be way fine. to go. Yeah, just yeah. say you've won, and that's enough. Well, that's, and then yeah. you know when they what can they do? Count all of the votes. They will just yeah. What can they? Do? What can they <laughs> then then you get the to claim off. that it was stolen from you. Like yeah. he has successfully done. We're we're one up at half time. Yeah. For the first quarter, we're one up. Let's just take the ball off the court and that's it. We'll just go, well, just stop looking at your screens because we were way ahead at this yeah. point. And anything after that is just unfair. Absolutely. And bias. And I mean, they are just really, Oz and David McCormick are just competing to see who's going to lose to John Fetterman, the Democratic um, yeah. nominee yeah. in. Yeah. In Pennsylvania, it who is, is kind of weird that they end up being they're kind of fighting each other. Yeah, they are doing oppo research on people in their own party. Yeah, and and saying what a terrible candidate they'll be and what a disaster it would be if they got into office. Yeah, and then having to to turn around and support them against the opposing party. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've all yeah. lived through that in the West Wing. You know, they yeah. kind of go, "I want you to be my." You know, my deputy. Yeah, uh -huh. but you were really rude about me in the, in the first place. Why would I do that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, because you have nice boots. Yeah, all right, I'll do it. Yeah. No, it's, um, it's, an, it's a kind of odd experience to see how vitriolic the exchanges can be between the two Republican candidates. Yeah. And, you know, does it happen? Well, I guess we're, given the where we are on the political spectrum, we are more interested in looking at the rivalry between the Republican candidates. Yeah, yeah. It, no, it happens. On the it left? happens on the left, definitely. I mean, wow. in um, in Texas, the uh, Democratic congressional primary is currently too close to call. They haven't. It hasn't right. been decided yet between Henry Coela and uh, Jessica Cisneros. Because you kind of think it's a kind of waste. It's a it's a weird waste of time and a diminishment, if that's such a word. Of the faith in the Democratic Party from the left, you know, from the voters. I mean, I think that that's a quite important one in Texas because yep. Quaylar is the last anti-abortion Democrat congressperson, right. really. I mean, like, vehemently 
anti-abortion. Right. So he would be a vote against codifying Roe. So if if Jessica Cisneros beats him, that which again, I mean, there's literally like 200 votes in it at the moment. Wow. And we're we're three days. The primary was three days ago. There will be recounts. There might be a runoff. I don't know exactly how that will work in that location. Mm. But the better thing for the Democratic Party would be if Cisneros gets in. Yeah, yeah. In that yeah. Yeah. seat. So yes, because you you'd kind of want as a party as a whole to have people. You know, or a bit like what we were talking about with the the Labour Party in the UK, all getting behind the Remain vote in Brexit when they kind of yeah. couldn't. You kind of want the Democratic Party to be, as a whole, pro-choice. You want the yeah, yeah, I mean, we as a party are against what you're doing on the right to remove people's rights to do what they want with their own bodies it's a i I mean again a little bit more complicated than that because yeah Yeah. and i don't know to what extent this is true in this particular seat but if you look at joe manchin for example in west virginia Mm. i think maybe i'm doing our last fallacy of kind of projecting my feelings onto others i think people would agree it would be better yeah. if Joe Manchin was more on the side of the Democrats in a lot of right. cases. He is yeah. unwilling to overturn the filibuster for anything, for right. for gun control, for abortion, for whatever. Why? Because he's fearful of his... Because he is, a, in inverted commas, moderate Democrat. He is, okay. he is to the right of basically almost everyone else in, in the Democratic right. Party. The yep. thing is, in West Virginia... That's why he's been elected. If you right. have a more progressive Democrat in that position... Yeah, then the Republican would get in. Yeah, they would vote yeah. for the Republican. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And therefore we would have one less vote in the Senate for yeah. the things that we can get Manchin to vote yeah. for. <laughs> yes. Which, to be honest, is not much. Not much. But at least they're not out and out Republican policies. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so he's not he's not reflexively voting against everything the Democrats stand for. Yeah. But he's also holding up a lot of Democrat progress, almost yeah. on his own. There's also Kirsten Cinema, but um, yeah. it's yeah. it's pretty. I mean, Manchin almost can do it by himself. Yeah, and that means he holds a ridiculous amount of sway. But if he was more more progressive, more liberal. Maybe he wouldn't be in that position at all, and there would just right. be a Republican there reflexively voting against everything yeah, that yeah, yeah. the Democrats would want to do. Yeah, so he's slightly reflexively voting against everything <laughs> yeah. less. Yeah. Slightly. Yeah. We can get very, very, very little bit more done with yeah. him there than if he wasn't I, there. I think Joe Biden should come up with a phrase called dino, Democrats yeah, in yeah, name only. Yeah. yeah. But that may be the case in Texas with with Quayla. It may be that if Cisneros wins the primary, she doesn't win the the actual midterm, right? And we lose that house seat. I don't yep. know, yeah, yeah, uh, what the the kind of calculus on that is. I like the way that we that we're talking about us. We're aligning ourselves oh, yeah, yeah. to well, the, that's the, a fucking, to yeah, the left. I don't, I yeah. don't think that's hidden. <laughs> no, not at yeah. all. We did no. once do. A test, didn't we? How socialist yeah, are yeah, you? Yeah. 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 
and, and I'm like Elizabeth Warren, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're kind of like ninety-eight percent. I think yeah, I'm so, um, practically Trotsky. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the Pennsylvania race with Doctor Oz, yeah, slash David McCormick versus John Fetterman. I is it? I think quite an interesting one because Fetterman is a. He he was the lieutenant governor, of, is still at the moment the lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania. Right. And, I mean, I'm definitely, for a Brit, disproportionately interested in American politics. I think that's fair I to say. I think that's fair to say, yeah, yeah. But even at my level yeah. of interest, and I think, again, I'm going to project a lot of our listeners' levels. It's for the greater good. I yeah. think... I think it's probably unusual for people to have even heard of the lieutenant governor of any particular state. Right. It's just not of an important, you know, it's like the deputy governor. You know, yeah. we don't know the governors of most states. Yeah. But Fetterman is someone I've been aware of for a while. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's a, a ridiculously huge and scary looking guy. <laughs> And like he's he's yeah. like giant. He's a seven foot tall and tattooed and kind of yeah. this hefty guy, and yeah. and and yet seems very kind of progressive and gentle and 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 in favour yeah. of all of the good stuff. And he seems really popular. He seems to be really smart and and have a lot of kind of support from the people in uh, who who he works for essentially in his uh, kind of constituency. Yeah. Um and so his decision to run for senate was a popular one and seems like he has a really good chance. I mean Pennsylvania's it's a swing state but it leans blue. So right. I mean he he's in favor of universal health care raising the minimum wage to to at least $15 an hour, implementing a wealth tax, obviously codifying Roe, all kinds of good stuff. Yeah. And he he crushed the Democratic primary. He won it like 60% he got in the in the primary so that's good he's just had a stroke oh. he had he literally was in hospital i think either for the election or or the d within days of the election i decided maybe um oh, but he's yeah. he's had a pacemaker fitted he seems to be doing well and yeah. hasn't you know he voted i think yeah it was before the election because he voted from hospital but he seems like a great candidate and i mean obviously infinitely better than dr oz yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that's quite an interesting race, and I think he'll be a, a character in the Senate if if he does get in. God, yeah. So. Yeah, well, it's a bit like the the mayor of Sheffield here in the UK, who was kind. Of, basically, he was a sort of urban rapper, so he was he was kind of a shot in the arm of politics, and kind of wore the chains of office. Pretty much like the Beastie Boys wore, <laughs> wore chains of office with VWs around. He looked like that and yet was in charge of a Labour council. It's almost the the, the people's candidate where mm. you get this sense that they're not career politicians. They're, they're actually representative of a certain demographic. So, you know, Fentiman is that kind of... He is that kind of a character. He... You, you you stack him up against a, a one of the Bush dynasty, and you kind of go, yeah, he's big <laughs> and scary and got tattoos because of a certain upbringing that he's had, and therefore huh. has 
some real life experience to bring to the party, which if the Democrats have got any sense, will embrace. Let's say, right, finally we'll get some representative membership and we'll get some buy-in. That you know, we dreamed of that in 2015 <laughs> with Corbyn, but yeah, let's just let's hope that happens. Yeah, yeah. So the kind of narrative has largely been essentially that that Trump's endorsements are holding less sway, and mm. and some of the more rabidly MAGA candidates, yeah, some of the more conspiracy-minded QAnon supporting people have done less well than was expected. Some have Mm. still got through to be the nominee for their party, which is fucking scary. But we'll take all the good news we can get. Yeah. (laughs) And we'll take that as being a trend towards (laughs) greater good. Yeah. And finally, some things we really don't have time to talk about. One of the winners in North Carolina's GOP primaries was Sandy Smith, an election truther endorsed by Roger Stone, who made the news this week for tweeting, I never ran over anyone with a car and I never hit anyone in the head with a frying pan. Which is one of those tweets that kind of raises more questions than it answers. It's like a busted movie. (laughs) I have also never done those specific things, but haven't felt the need to tweet about it. Maybe I should. Has everyone just assumed up to now that since I've never specifically denied running people over or hitting them with frying pans like I'm in a fucking cartoon, that I have in fact done those things? Dear listener, if you have been assuming that about me, I feel like you should go back and listen to our episode on the argument from silence. Absence of evidence, yeah. But it turns out there was a reason that Sandy needed to deny these Tom and Jerry-esque things. It turns out that both of her ex-husbands have accused her of attacking them in various ways, but these two specific incidents did not result in injury. So it would have been more accurate for Sandy to tweet... I tried to run someone over with a car and hit them in the head with a frying pan, but I'm a terrible shot. I did hit someone repeatedly with an alarm clock. That doesn't actually answer any of the questions at all. Say what you like about Florida's free speech laws as proposed by Ron DeSantis. Well, I guess that's the point, that you can, except if you're a social media platform, in which case you can't, and you have to allow other people to be able to spread miss and dis and hate-based information on your platforms. Well, if DeSantis had his way. Disguised as a First Amendment's right issue, DeSantis was being all right-wingy and whingy about the outrageously bigoted views being taken down by most, if not all, the social media platforms as being discrimination against conservatives. At the time, I think we reported that it was discriminating against bigotry. It's just that most of the accounts that got blocked or sanctioned just so happened to be right-wing. In a judgment this week, overturning the Stop Social Media Censorship Act, which passed into Florida law last year, Circuit Judge and Trump appointee Kevin Newsom said, put simply, with minor exceptions, the government can't tell a private person or entity, what to say or how to say it. We hold that it is substantially likely that social media companies, even the biggest ones, are private actors whose rights the First Amendment protects. And like NetChoice, who pointed out that this order protects private businesses against the state's demand that social media carry users posts that are against their community standards, 
we applaud the legal nose-thumbing at DeSantis, but only in a First Amendment kind of way, not a bigoted opinion kind of way, because he's factually is wrong. You know how some podcasts have running gags like Eli's Mango Nectar on The Scathing Atheist, Marsh's Bad Puns on Skeptics with a K, and Tom Never Doing Any Work on Cogdis? Well, we have a running headline instead, and it's that Republicans keep committing election fraud. Admittedly, it's not as funny as those other examples, but they keep fucking doing it, so we have to keep talking about it. This week, it's the Michigan gubernatorial primaries, where candidates are required to submit at least 15,000 signatures supporting their candidacy in order to be considered. Former Detroit Police Chief James Craig managed more than 21,000, but it turns out that more than half were forged, with some entire pages filled with the same handwriting. The other leading GOP candidate, Perry Johnson, submitted almost 23,000 signatures, but less than 14,000 were real. In a way, that shows some commitment to cheating. When you get 93% of the way there and your choice is to keep knocking on doors or fake 9,000 signatures, I'm not sure you're choosing the easiest option. It's like cheating is the goal. And it's pretty widespread on that side of the aisle. Three other GOP candidates in the same race were dismissed for having more than 10,000 fake signatures each. That's a total of five out of the ten GOP candidates in the primary. As we discussed on the last episode, it's no wonder they think Democrats are cheating, because cheaters think everyone does it. Everybody's doing it! Yeah. Incensed at Republican Senator and House GOP Conference Chair Elise Stefanik's recent tweet saying the White House, House Dems and usual pedo grifters are so out of touch with the American people that rather than present any plan or urgency to address the nationwide baby formula crisis, they double down on sending pallets and formulas to the southern border. Joe Biden has no plan. Glossing over the clearly partisan shit-stirring, making an issue about corporate greed, monopolies and bacteria into a Joe Biden issue, reporters called her office for clarification as to what a pedo-grifter is. The staffer clarified it to mean people who grift on behalf of children, which, of course, is not what the QAnon-baiting use of language is doing just as hashtag save the children hijacked the work of actual save the children. In amongst the hasty backfilling of meaning and plausible deniability, it's her personal account, you realise. Yeah, because that makes it okay. There's this casual, in plain sight, systematic verbal dehumanising by the GOP of people actually campaigning on behalf of LGBTQ plus and child protection rights as the very people causing the problem. This incites the ignorant and easily led to take up arms, literally, against whoever the GOP decides to target slash disagree with, while saying... Well, I meant nothing of the sort. When actual people with actual high-powered assault rifles turn up at a pizza parlour demanding to see the non-existent basement. As the reporter pointed out to Stefanik's staffer, I don't know if you've noticed, but most people who've been outed as pedophiles are Republicans or clergy who are also right-wing. Also, he says, I could call Stefanik a cunt as an abbreviation of continuing source of inspiration and simply say, oh, you misunderstood my meaning. I could, just like you are with Pedo Grifter, but it would be a lie. 
yes, he's right. It would be a lie because she isn't a continuing source of inspiration. She's just a... It's almost Pride Month. So while the worst companies campaign against LGBTQ plus rights and the best ones make quiet but meaningful efforts to advance them even if it hurts their business, all the ones in the middle cynically walk the tightrope of performatively supporting their LGBTQ plus customers with rainbow-infused marketing so long as it makes them money without pissing off the homophobes. State Farm fell off that tightrope this week. They started off well supporting an organisation called Gender Cool, who, among other things, distribute LGBTQ plus themed books to schools, libraries and community centres. It's a private programme that schools and other groups can proactively sign up to. Nobody is required to participate in it unless they want to. State Farm even released a statement saying, We are committed to diversity and inclusion. They aren't just words, they're truly part of how we do business and lead our organisation. But then, far-right news outlets found out that schools might voluntarily sign up to get free books that promote inclusivity, and they freaked the fuck out. And like a shitty, cowardly neighbour, State Farm pulled their support for the programme. Since they seem so easily swayed by public opinion, now would be a great time to cancel any State Farm policies you have. Republican Senator Bill Cassidy has been preoccupied with some of the thoughts we share with every single person in the world. Every single person in the world who isn't a Republican, that is. Which is, OK, so in doing away with Roe v. Wade, you're going to increase support for the women who will now have to go to term and presumably then bring up the child, OK? Thankfully, Bill's on it. But somewhat gobsmackingly, these words came out of his mouth, presumably having been processed by his brain. About a third of our population is African-American. African-Americans have a higher incidence of maternal mortality. So if you correct our population for race, we're not so much of an outlier as it would otherwise appear. Now I say that not to minimise the issue, but to focus the issue as to where it would be. For whatever reason people of colour have a higher incidence of maternal mortality. That's my jaw-dropped, eye-popped emphasis. Even the casual feigned ignorance of, for whatever reason, is disgusting, as if systemic racism and individual bias are nothing to do with Republican policy. As Politico notes, black mothers are three times more likely to die from a pregnancy-related cause than white mothers in the US, which, despite Cassidy's protestations, has the worst mortality rate amongst developed nations and where 17 mothers die for every 100,000 pregnancies in the country. In Louisiana, Cassidy's state, black mothers are four times as likely to die than white mothers. But Bill says it's fine, because apparently they don't count. Jesus H. fucking Christ, this man's an elected official. Uncritical race theory, anyone? Yet again, America is reeling from a horrific mass shooting in an elementary school. If you're hoping, despite all evidence to the contrary, that maybe, this time, the massacre of small children might have some impact on Republicans, I have some bad news. The message from the GOP is one of unwavering solidarity and support for the NRA. 
With one voice, the Republican Party announced that they are willing to do whatever it takes to make sure this never happens again, except for the one thing that would realistically have any impact on this happening again, which is meaningful or, frankly, fucking any gun control. Instead, GOP representatives have once again blamed mental health, rap music, video games, trans people, the number of doors in schools, lockdowns, social media and a lack of church going. Georgia Senate GOP candidate Herschel Walker was asked if he thought new gun laws were needed and his response was, what I like to do is see it and everything and stuff. To be fair to Herschel, the question was sprung on him at an event, so we should instead focus on his proposal to solve the problem, which he later went on Fox News specifically to talk about the tragedy, and said, What about getting a department that can look at young men that's looking at women that's looking at their social media? Let's be clear, this is exactly as effective as all the other Republican politicians' ideas. Those just sound more effective because they use actual sentences. Of course, the most prevalent argument on the right is that the solution to all this gun violence is more guns. Armed guards, armed teachers, armed volunteers. The fact that three trained armed law enforcement officers apparently saw this shooter enter the building and were unable to stop it kind of proves that's a lie. But we already knew it's a lie. The Republicans know it's a lie. Even the NRA knows it's a lie. That's why this weekend, when Trump speaks at the NRA's annual conference, just a couple of hundred miles from where this school shooting happened, guns will be banned from the room. Because no matter how many good guys with a gun there are, there is no realistic way to make it safe other than removing all the guns. British politics currently works like this. Boris won't make a decision about something unless he has to. And he'll leave things as long as he can in the hope that he never has to make a decision or that the police stop investigating, whichever comes first. Sue Gray's report on the Partygate investigations came out this week. And as we know, Sue Gray's a Pantone colour reference for some utter whitewash. The report didn't tell us anything new though it contradicted some of the police's if a tree falls in a forest and there's no one there approach. If a fine has not been issued for a gathering Boris was at, then it's not a party. Or if fines were issued, it only became a party after Boris left. Also, Sue Gray's report didn't investigate a major gathering in the PM's flat because she stopped when the police started investigating and when they stopped after finding nothing, she thought it wasn't proportionate to restart. Consequently, neither investigated that gathering where ABBA was heard blaring late into the night and actual police saw people come out through the doors and the gates that they were guarding late into the same night. Is a cover-up the same as people just pointing to the other guys saying, well, they were supposed to look at it? No decision to be made by Boris but to say sorry again for even less of a convincing amount of time this time. As he should know with his ancestry, a Turkish saying tells us that when a clown enters the palace, he doesn't become a king, the palace becomes a circus. And also, what does 
I take full responsibility for this mean when A, you throw everyone else at the same party under the bus for being responsible and B, if your supporters slash employees slash and most explicably of all voters are quite happy being lied to. It's time to move on, everyone. There's nothing to see here apart from Keir Starmer's best gag in Prime Minister's Questions this week. What was it about Sue Gray's report that first attracted the Prime Minister to a U-turn on the windfall tax on energy companies? Is he channelling Mrs Merton in that? That's such a brilliant absolutely. It was reference. Brilliant. brilliant. <laughs> absolutely brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> What was it about millionaire Paul Daniels that first attracted you to him? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, that's all the bad arguments and faulty reasoning we have time for this week. You'll find the show notes at fallaciousTrump.com and if you hear Trump say something stupid and want to ask if it's a fallacy, our contact details are on the contact page. If you think we use fallacy ourselves, let us know. And if you've had a good time, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts or simply tell one other person in person about how much they'd like our podcast. And you can support the show at patreon.com slash ftrump, just like our straw man level patrons Steve Bickle, Schmoots, Mark Reiki and Amber R. Buchanan, and our true Scotsman level patron Kaz Tui, Andrew Houck, Max Beaver and our top patron Lauren. Thank you so much everybody for your continued support. It's really very much appreciated. You can connect with those awesome people as well as us and other listeners in the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash fallacious trump. All music is by the outbursts and was used with permission. So until next time on Fallacious Trump, we'll leave the last word to the Donald. That's right. Go home to mommy. Bye. Bye. <laughs>